Welcome to the Thrive Vineyard Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by our special guest speaker. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit thrivevineyard.com. The first question I have for you guys today is, do we really believe this Bible? Do we? So I'm talking about those things that we agree with. I am talking about those things that maybe don't settle well with us. I'm talking about those things we don't understand. Do we really believe this Bible? And one of the reasons why I'm asking that question is because with the message that we're headed into, this is foundational. It's a foundational to our faith. And the church I grew up with was a major denomination. If I told you the name of it, you would recognize it. And they believed that this book was, had great stories and myths. Now, I need to tell you, there are a whole lot of issues with that perspective of the Bible. Because I want to then ask you, did what Jesus did on the cross, was that a myth? Was that just a story? Does that really impact us? There are huge, huge ramifications. So when I asked Jesus into my life, I repented of sins and chose him and asked him to come and lead my life. One of the first things I needed to do was look into this book. Now, I, the rest of this message, you're going to be so grateful, is not on how reliable this is. However, I do want to touch on One aspect. So there are experts in ancient documents, just so you know. And they have a science. And there is a whole list of factors with regard to how they assess ancient documents. And so what I want to do is very quickly show you the reliability of this Bible. All right? So hang with me. I know it's 10 o'clock in the morning and some of you need more coffee. But here's where I'm headed. Is I'm going to show you this table of people, authors, who wrote ancient documents. So one is Homer, he wrote the Iliad. Now, I am not well read. This is about the Trojan War and the Trojan horse, okay? And he wrote the original document because, folks, we do not have original documents from these ancient manuscripts, including the Bible. So with Homer, he wrote in 800 BC, before Christ, those of you who remember my last talk, and the earliest copy was 400 years later, okay? Plato wrote in 400 BC, and 1,300 years later, we have copies. Caesar, the Gaelic Wars, wrote 100 to 44 BC, and 1,000 years later, we have copies. And look at the number of copies. You are paying attention. Now, did anybody hear what I just said? No, but there is a slide you can actually look at, hopefully. So anyway, Homer had 643 copies we have of his ancient manuscript. These experts have said, and this is important, that when looking at these copies, they were reliable. They don't conflict with each other, so they believe that these copies actually reflect the original document, okay? So we have eight of Herodotus, or Herodotus and Plato, we have seven, and Caesar, we have ten, and I'm going to compare this now to the New Testament, which is absolutely amazing. One side comment. Homer, 
I, I know all of you know this, but I did not until two weeks ago. I was reading a book, and they were talking about Homer's Iliad. There was a German archaeologist who was reading through Homer, Homer's Iliad and goes, you know what? I really believe Troy existed. So in the 1800s, he takes the coordinates and the details and goes to northwest Turkey. And what does he find? The city of Troy. It actually existed. Ten levels of it, folks. Ten levels. Absolutely amazing. So when we look at the New Testament, look at how it stacks up. Look at, first of all, the number of copies we have. Over 5,000 copies that these experts have looked at and say, this is reliable. And the time gap is between around 50, 60 some odd years after the original manuscripts to 200, uh, manuscripts to 225 years later. We're not talking 400 years. We're not talking 1,300 years. We're talking 60 to 225 years. Now, here's the last thing I want to say on this, and then we're going to move on to the next point. And that is, if anybody begins to question the reliability of the Bible, all these other folks come and question. And those who are experts in this field have already deemed that Homer and Plato and Caesar and those writings are reliable, okay? Is this Bible reliable and is it true? And there's a lot of other facts to look at. If this is an issue for you or somebody in your life, I really encourage you to investigate it. There is more evidence that demands a verdict by the McDowell's. There's a whole lot of resources. But my question is, do we believe this Bible? Do, are we going to do what it says to do? So, next on my agenda, with and shifting without the clutch, is the kingdom of God. Why should the kingdom of God matter to us? And it's because it mattered to Jesus. Now, when I spoke last month, I talked about Jesus being our leader, right? Those of, the, of you who were here and heard that message... He is the greatest of all time. He is the goat, right, of leadership. And I know I shouldn't probably say that in church because we have all sorts of pictures of sheep and the goat, but he is the greatest of all time, a phenomenal leader. And so as followers, so this Bible says we are the body, right? And it says that he is the head or he is our leader. So then the question is, what matters to him? And why should it matter to us? Well, the kingdom of God mattered to him because why? We lost it. It was here on earth, and then we lost it. So let me put a pause in this story, and I'm going to do a flashback to my favorite book, which is Genesis. And not just anywhere in Genesis, Genesis 1-1. So God created what? The heavens and the earth. And then the passage goes on to speak about the six days of creation, the seventh day it rested. Now, there are other parts and aspects of the Bible that give us more information. So on Colossians 1, 15 through 16, 
Paul writes, he, Jesus, is the image, the physical image of the invisible God. For by him, or for by him, all things were created both in the heavens and the earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created by him and for him. Folks, there is an invisible realm. And I don't believe, I know I don't acknowledge it on a daily basis because of the Western world that I am in. But there is an invisible realm and it affects this message of the kingdom of God. So I am going to jump to not Genesis 2, only Genesis 126, where God says, hey, I have an idea. Let's make mankind in our image, right? So there is the invisible image and there's the image, the physical image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish, the birds, the livestock, every creeping thing. I always hate that piece of it, that creeping thing. Anyway, so he has given us dominion over it, and dominion is rulership. All right? Now here's where I'm going. Genesis 1.28, he makes mankind, and then here's what he says, or what the Bible says. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth, which we all know, but we all kind of skip over, subdue it. It's a command. Rule over the fish and the birds, every living living creature that moves on the ground. This is not a to-do list. This isn't we made mankind and now we're a little confused as to what to do with him. This is a position and a status. This is in the structure of what God created in the physical, in the invisible realm. We are co-regents. We're vice regents of this earth. And we still are, by the way, and we'll talk about it. We are vice regents. And so what he asked us to do then is what is called the dominion mandate. We were asked to go, well, Adam and Eve were asked to go and take this rulership of that he designed. So he's the leader. What does a leader do? Hang with me here. A leader casts vision for how he wants things to be. And then a leader... She wants values that people incorporate that reflect who the leader is. And then what God did is he said, okay, Adam and Eve, I want you to go and take those values. My rulership include, you know, processes, systems, and laws that reflect my rulership, my dominionship. Go out, be free, right? And the vision God gave them was the Garden of Eden. God walked with Adam and Eve. So he gave them, had them experience this vision because he's a fantastic leader. He gave them a vision of what the kingdom of God is to be like to go spread it to the rest of the earth. And so that's where they're headed. And then what happens? Genesis 3 happens. All right? The serpent comes. And what does he do? He begins luring Not only Adam and Eve, but he begins to lie to them, just so you know. 
So what happens is he says, basically, God's lying. You are not going to certainly die. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's tempting them, luring them. So Adam and Eve, as God's vice regents and representatives, all of a sudden believe Satan over God. Do you see what's going on here? So they trust Satan over God, and they obey Satan over God. And what happens in the moment that they eat that fruit? A cataclysmic change occurs, and we have lost the kingdom of God. What happens is, as vice regents, we invited Satan to come in, and as you'll see in this slide coming up, he became ruler of the world in that moment. This is where Jesus talks about the God of this world is coming, prince of the power of the air. That's when Satan was invited in and came in and began to take over the earth. God lost it, but he's the creator. His will is not to be thwarted, right? Because he's the creator of God. God and Satan aren't like this. It's like this. So what's happening is, in this drama, is that we now have done the dominion mandate, but instead of it being God's vision, it's Satan's vision of sin and death and destruction and murder. That is what's going on. So now, act two. The curtain comes up. Jesus comes in. And... A lot of us would say, me included, I would say, hey, you know what? The most important message that Jesus had for us was to seek and save the lost. And that would be absolutely true. The other message would be righteousness and love. And that would be absolutely true. But that is not his main message. His main message is the kingdom of God. And he says in Luke 4.43, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God because that's why I was sent. Here is what is so fun and exciting. God has reinstituted the kingdom of God mandate. He said, okay, I'm sending my man Jesus. He's going to come and he's going to reinstitute it. And here's what's happening between the difference between Genesis and now. Genesis didn't have anybody now we do. We have all these people, and they are under Satan's reign, under his kingdom, not Jesus's. So Jesus began teaching and preaching and casting vision for the kingdom of God. And he said, we want righteousness and then be attitudes. How do you act in the kingdom of God? So he started bringing people in, and here's what happened. The only way to move from Satan's realm and dominion to Jesus's is to repent of sins, right? Confess our sins and ask Jesus to come into our life. As soon as we do that, we get transported to Jesus' team. Okay? There is a verse in Colossians 1.13. For he delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what's going on, and this is what's so exciting. So what's happening is Jesus is getting more and more people into his kingdom, and Satan's going, whoa, wait a minute. Wait, wait, I thought this was in. I thought I had won. Oh, no, not today, Satan. We now have a group of people, and God is beginning to bring the dominion mandate yet again to the earth. So Satan goes, you know what? We're just going to kill Jesus now. 
And so he does it, those of you who are Narnia fans, he doesn't remember the old magic, right? Okay, the rules. And so he killed a totally innocent man. And the old rules, because there are rules God set up, he doesn't violate them, but the rule basically is, and Paul talks about Jesus being the, rep, the second Adam. He is our representative of mankind. He died. He didn't do anything. He didn't deserve it, yet he was killed. And so that broke the enemy's power, right? So now there is an opportunity to take over the kingdom of God. And as soon as Jesus died on the cross and he was raised from the empty tomb, Ephesians 1, 20, 21, and I've taught on this before. He raised him from the dead and seated Jesus at his right hand, even the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that is named, not only in this age, but the one to come, he puts all things into subjection under his feet. And where are we as soon as we Switch sides, we get teleported to the exact same place. Ephesians 2, 5b through 6. He made us alive together in Christ. He raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So we are here and we are in Christ Jesus. I've talked about this before, which means all power and authority has been given to us. All right? So all that power and authority that has been given to um, Jesus, we have been given. So in his name, we are able to advance the kingdom of God. And here's what the enemy didn't realize. He didn't realize that we would have these lights in us. It's the Holy Spirit. So God is reinstituting us today, thrive. He is calling us to go out and spread the kingdom of God. And he equipped us with the Holy Spirit. And I forgot my book that was over there, but there, um, a group of us meet on Thursday nights, and it's a spiritual warfare group. And we are studying um, Defeating uh, the Dark Angels by Charles Craft. And Charles Craft was a contemporary. He and John Wimber were friends. And um, I know most of you don't know who John Wimber was. He was the father or founder of the vineyard. So these two guys were friends. Charles Craft had no intention of going into deliverance ministry or anything else. But then God said, oh, no, no. Yes, you are, Charles. And right in your class, your seminary class, I'm going to have somebody for you to come and pray over and deliver. So he had 20, 30 years or so of this ministry. Now, here's what happened. This woman they delivered from the occult, she's able, she was able to see into the spiritual realm. And she could see people's power. And she said, as Satanists, they could tell Christians from a huge distance away. They could see the amount of power in us. She later finds out it's the Holy Spirit, right? So we have this incredible power in us. But here's what she said, and this is why I was motivated. I felt like God was asking me to give this message. She said they had no idea they had this power. So we just ignored them. 
We just did what we wanted to do and we kept pushing basically the darkness of hell, the kingdom of Satan. She said, you all don't have any idea how much power you have and you don't know how to use it. And that's why I feel like with the Kiefer's coming back, this is a new day. They came back with sabbatical. They're going to share what we're asking us to do to go forward. But as a big C church, I want to say, rise up. Rise up, church. We have been given this mandate, and we are to continue to carry it out. And I am so excited about that. And so what I want to ask you all right now is... How? What are you going to do? I want you to think, so there's pads of paper. You don't have to use it. You kind of can kind of go through it in your mind. But my question is, what circles of influence do you have? Because remember last time I talked, I talked about leadership. I said, we are influencers. We're defining leadership that way. Anybody who influences the um, behavior, thinking, development of another person, we are all influencers, whether you're a student or a parent or a boss, it doesn't matter. So look at your circles of influence or think about them. There's work, there's family, there's relationships, friends. What are your circles of influence, your relational circles? I'm going to give you 30 seconds either to write them down or think through them and pay attention to which one you're drawn to. So I'm going to time you. All right, go. Okay, so I would like you to put a check or just think about the one you were drawn to, or just pick one, doesn't matter, just pick one. And here's what I want to challenge us to do. First of all, the kingdom of God. This isn't um, Mike's, or, uh, Tammy's father, Mike. There, every time we pray for people, the kingdom of God gets advanced, Right? Tammy's dad, Mike, came up for prayer and his hand was healed right there. And that's a visible sign, right? And that is so encouraging and so exciting. And so I want to go, yay, God. But there's also these small, like the kingdom of heaven, God talks about. And he says it's like the mustard seed or like yeast. It's a little bit at a time. You know those bumper stickers, just like, what was it? Like, show an act of kindness or something today, whatever it is. Those actually work. Wherever you go, you're bringing the kingdom of God. And I challenge you to think of ways that are loving and caring and to advance the kingdom of God. Is it listening to somebody? So some of us, we talked about pride and fear and how God, or not God, but the enemy is going to come after us. You all heard this message. He's going to try and thwart it. So he is going to go after us. Those of us who tend toward pride, I want to say stop. Just stop. It's not, it's not a win-lose situation. You don't have to do that. You don't have to go there with other relationships. So just stop and begin to listen. I was talking to um, somebody, and they said in a very close relationship, they get into the same argument over and over. Has anybody ever <laughs> experienced that? I absolutely have. And what I'm asking people like that when we're in that situation 
this person was saying, yeah, I get so frustrated. I'm just like, I know where it's going. I'm just going to cut that person off. Well, that's not a loving thing to do. So I'm asking you to listen to that person, but also bring in something healthy. Bring somebody else in the, in the, from the outside to help give you clarity as to how to get out of this dysfunctional relationship. But those of us with fear, I want to say stop and then surrender that. To God, choose God's team over the enemies. So, as you are thinking of your sphere, picture what the kingdom of God looks like. What would it look like in that sphere that you selected? And then, if you came alone, just think through what is it God's asking you to do different or to be different? Maybe He's asking you to be more patient or loving or listen more. But what is it He's asking you to do? And then share that. If you came with somebody, share that with the person that you came with. So I'm going to give you three minutes to do that. Okay? So go ahead and Pick that area, decide what is it, how can I bring the kingdom of God, how can I bring his love and his values into that realm? Does that make sense? Okay, go. I put up a quote from Napoleon Bonaparte last time, and I am like, would like you to look at it again. Napoleon was a French general commander. Alexander the Great, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires. But on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force, upon the way Satan runs his kingdom and dominion. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love. And at this hour, millions would die for him. The kingdom of God is about love. So those of you who get motivated by some kind of military metaphor, get the armor on and go after it, right? All right? Those of you who just are, um, that is not your thing. As a matter of fact, you're anti-war. Are you a gardener? Are you about bringing the kingdom of God through a garden, through spreading the beauty of what the garden looks like in love and care with the relationships. Whatever you do, you are commanding or you are spreading the kingdom of God so that gates of hell cannot prevail against it. And Palatine will be different a year from now if we do that because we have been given the worlds that he's given us, the relational influence with the people around us. And even one person who goes and switches sides and chooses Team Jesus will be, there will be parties in heaven. So I just encourage you to rise up, walk in the power and the courage that you have. So we have um, the group that I, we're going to have the ministry team come up and um, Michi is going to share something. I have uh, a group, our Thursday night group. If anybody feels like they're under attack because they, this, the war is still going on, we're going to be over here. And if you want prayer or if you want more information, just um, text me at info um, at thrivevineyard.com. But I want you, here's what, it's going to be a little awkward, but I want you to stand. I'm going to pray over you and then Michi is going to speak, okay? Father God, oh my gosh, I am so excited 
for your church because our world so badly needs you. The darkness out there can be overwhelming, but you have given us your Holy Spirit and your power and your authority. And Lord, I ask you, just to, Holy Spirit, to keep reminding us to choose you. Te- choose Team Jesus over the enemy. And that we walk forth and we begin to see amazing, miraculous things happens. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come with might and power. Come in like in Acts 2, where the flames were over every single person's head, not only here, but online and wherever else, Lord. So I'm asking you would do that. Lord, bless them. Go before them. And the other thing, Lord, the enemy is not happy with this. And so angels, in Jesus' name, go forth. Protect us, our families, relatives, our workplaces, finances. Just continue to protect us as we move forth. So Lord, thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen.